Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gillian Fawcett. Gillian, you're very welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you very much, Susan. I'm I'm absolutely delighted to be invited uh, to this um, podcast. Great. Well, I'd like to ask you, Gillian, what impact you are looking to have on the world? Wow, that's a big, uh, a big question. First of all, I think I've got to reflect on my career that spanned probably three decades. And it's always been focused on improving public services and through better public financial management. So if I think about when I started at a local level, working with local authorities, health trusts, police authorities, etc. And and I was an auditor. And so I made a number of recommendations, which really resulted or should have resulted in in change and improvements to to public financial management. So so very much in terms of focused on making public services more efficient and and more effective. Then if I went, if I look at my career at a national level, so working with government and working within parliament, so you know, taking my role within the scrutiny unit at at Parliament. The focus there was on helping politicians to get better at asking the right questions to improve public financial management across government um, departments. So improving the the scrutiny process of financial management and indeed the performance um, of government um, departments. Then if I take my roles within the profession, Again, you know, working at an international level, so with all sorts of ministries of finance, with supreme audit institutions, very much focused on helping them to improve transparency and accountability of public financial management in areas such as financial reporting, budget execution, scrutiny, the application of accounting standards. So the whole plethora of public financial management. But as well as that, improving the profession and the profession's policy response in the areas of public um, finance and extolling the value of having accountants at the heart of um, government to help them really up their um, game in public financial management. So at all of those different levels, you can see a, a common thread coming through there. And more specifically, I suppose, with public finance by women, Public financial management is is relatively a a niche um, area. And again, I saw a gap in 
advancing gender equality or promoting gender equality within public financial management. And that gap was at a global level, at an institutional level and an individual level. So public finance by women, I've got big aspirations for public finance by women to actually change the way in which women move to leadership positions to um, ensure gender equality is mainstreamed into basically everything we we do in relation to public uh, financial management. So I think there's a, a real sort of common thread through that for the last three decades. Wow. No, there is. And, and I love the way you go local, national, international, because it really it, it sets the scene for what you're trying to do. And tell us a little bit about public finance by women, Gillian. What exactly is it? Well, Public Finance by Women is a new startup organisation. They just mentioned about the need and the gap there for the promotion of women within public financial management. So it's an organisation with two key objectives. The first is to support women in their career development and mentoring is a key cornerstone for that. And the second part is to advance gender equality in public financial management. So that's very much providing a policy voice for women in public financial management. But actually, it came about, it was um, really sort of a germ of an idea. So when I left the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy, I didn't leave with the intention of setting up public finance by women. Rather, it came about from a conversation in Spitalfields Market over a cup of coffee with a, a colleague, to, to be quite honest. And, and I went away and I didn't think much more about it. But then I started to reflect on my own career. And I started to think, well, you know, at a very early stage, there was a lack of role models, really, for me at the time. There were very few women in senior uh, positions. And you know, for some of those that were in senior positions, they acted more male than the males themselves <laughs> at, at times. And also there was a lack of access to things such as mentoring schemes for you, and particularly mentoring schemes that spanned outside of the organisation. But also the idea of boys clubs where men would gather in a bar after the, the meeting and, and oh, have it. Yeah, yeah, have the informal discussions there. And as a woman, you're less likely to go in, barge into to a bar and, and interrupt sort of the male, you know, conversations. So you'll find the next day that the business has been done. But that said, a lot of my colleagues uh, have, have been males and they've been great and my bosses too. But there's some examples to, to reflect on. And then I thought, well, what about further afield? What's actually happening out there? And so this is all sort of building up to the establishment of, of public finance by women. If you looked at the UK alone, there's never been a woman chancellor of the Exchequer. Wow. For example, there is now a woman uh, shadow chancellor of the Exchequer. There's never been a woman governor of the Bank of England. Mm. You know, and I did a quick survey of directors of finance in local authorities in and around London and health trusts. Only 33% of directors of finance were, were women. You'd expect a bit more sort of parity there. And then if you look worldwide, out of 188 ministries of finance, only 39 have women 
ministers of finance. You wow. Know? So there's a real need there to, to promote gender equality across the board in, in public uh, finance by women. So I see public finance by women as being a powerful network to, to try and influence the status quo and change the status quo. It'd be great to see more women in leadership positions, but equally in terms of to see gender equality being mainstreamed across policies and practices and, and governance arrangements and the like. I know this is finance, so you're looking more at finance ministries, but I guess if you extrapolated it out to the other ministries, would we also see something similar, I wonder? Does the public sector have enough women at the top? Well, it's interesting, you'd have to sort of unpick that because we do know, you know, within health and social services, which are key parts of the public sector, it's predominantly women. I'm not familiar with the research in terms of how many women are chief executives, etc. But the problem with the health and social care sector is generally, yes, there are lots of women, but they tend to be low paid, mm-hmm. you know, in low paid mm-hmm. positions. So you'd have to unpick different parts of the sector the problem with public financial management or women in public, there's no data there. That's a real gap there because we need the data to understand where the gaps are and to be better informed about the solutions and how we actually change, you know, the status quo. So there's no data there because no one's thought to look at that because the private sector would have a lot of data especially boards women on boards and the FTSE 100 trying to get yeah. to a certain level and all of that yeah. so there is equivalent happening in the public sector there is at different levels but not specifically for public financial management so there is for example across the civil service generally the OECD will collect data for civil servants and they'll disaggregate that for gender And they'll do it similarly for parliaments. But actually, if you started to drill down into specific areas and public financial management is one of those neglected areas, it's seen as quite a a niche area. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's the Hampton and Alexander Review for the C350 companies that they've got the data on boards and also in terms of at the executive um, levels. And that's what public finance by women are pushing for, to, to get some data, to get some consistent data in this area. Brilliant. But from your own career, because obviously it's been, like you said, local, national and international, have you got some amazing or strange stories about your career that can help shed light on all of this as well? I've got lots of um, strange stories and I I actually started to write a a book about two two or three years ago the trouble is I haven't gone back back to uh, the book but I'll share with you a a couple of stories they're not necessarily um, related to um, public finance by women but I remember very early on into my international career going to Belize and it was part of a a conference and a series of um, workshops. At five o'clock in the morning I was dragged out of bed to go to a a radio uh, station uh, and TV station so it was broadcasting by radio and TV and it was called Love FM (laughs) And I thought, well, hang on a minute, it's, it's five o'clock in the morning. Who on earth wants to listen to accountants 
talk about accountancy and government accountancy in the morning. You know, they're either asleep in Belize City or they're comatosed or whatever. So we we got to the studio and there was sort of, you know, various disco music sounds blaring out. I think it was Aretha Flat Franklin zooming who when we <laughs> had the radio station. And of course, the presenter started off in, in relation to why was I here? What was I doing in Belize? Then launched into, well, what did I think about the government of not producing a set of financial accounts for 10 years? And of course, you've got to be quite diplomatic in, in that situation. Then he moved on to, do women accountants make better accountants than men? So again, diplomacy came about. And then he asked the question, but aren't accountants risk adverse? They're being counters, they're risk adverse. And I thought, this is my moment to shine. So I said, well, actually, you know, no, because only yesterday I was swimming off your barrier reef, Kay Corker, and I was swimming with sharks. I thought, great. And then he just burst into fits laughing and he said, yes, they're basking sharks and they've got no teeth. <laughs> This was on national radio and TV and was on a loop for the rest of the day. I went back to bed and then up for the conference. And you can imagine they were all laughing for most of the day at, at, at this. And then one, one very brief other story in Vietnam, in um, Hanoi, again at a, at a conference. And I was taken, led away from the conference by a TV crew, sat down on a sofa. They had the cameras rolling and they asked me, well, Miss Fawcett, what should we do about the Vietnamese economy? Well, you can imagine I was like a rabbit in the headlights in the camera. This was above my pay grade. I think I wasn't the Chancellor of the Exchequer. <laughs> anyway, I, I cobbled some answer together about, well, education. People should get education and seem to, seem to get, get away with it. But it was one of those um, surreal uh, moments. So it, it's about you can never plan for the unexpected, basically. <laughs> You definitely can't. That's it, isn't it? And you just have to hope your, your brain will kick in and keep you safe and get you to say the right thing, like you said, and, and stay diplomatic, because that's really interesting that a government hadn't published accounts for 10 years. Yes. Uh, that's kind of scary. And mm. without going into specifics about countries, does the quality of public financial management vary considerably country to country and is it given the priority it needs yeah I mean the answer is yes it does vary considerably between countries I mean being a little bit techie here about a third of the world don't produce accounts on an accruals basis they still use cash accounting to to account for Yes, there are countries that have struggled to produce accounts for a number of years. And, and in part, that's something about the lack of commitment of government, but also lack of expertise. So you can go to some ministries of finance within developing countries, and there might be one accountant within mm -hmm. a professionally qualified accountant within the Ministry of Finance. So it's very difficult to, to move um, things forward without that technical expertise. 
And yes, I think, you know, it's quite interesting. As an accountant, you can have conversations with governments about being more accountable and more transparent. But actually, if they don't want to be transparent, you're not winning the argument there. Um, so the important argument is to demonstrate, well, actually, if you're producing a set of accounts in the public uh, domain, then, and they've got some form of accuracy to them, then you're going to be better placed to make decisions now and in the future. And it's that decision-making argument that, that tends to, to win them over. But yeah, I mean, there's an incredible variance across public financial management. Yeah, and the decision-making is one thing, but do people grasp, or governments grasp, that it's people's money? So it's not their money it's the public purse and mm. I think this is something that maybe people don't always understand when they collect taxes that it's not really theirs in the first place mm-hmm. I th- uh, yeah I think you I think you're right it's um it's it's I think they forget <laughs> and even even the UK government you know sometimes you hear strange things and whether it's consciously or subconsciously I don't know but if you look across the world as well you assume that all governments what could you say they they're not corrupt but there's a lot of corruption around the world you only have to look at organizations like Transparency um, International and look at their corruption index so huge variability across the piece I'd say. Yeah, Transparency International was in my mind as you were talking, actually. And mm-hmm. and it is really interesting because the government's job is to safeguard people, their citizens, and that comes down to money also. So Gillian, public finance by women is international. Have you gathered people from around the world? Well, you're right. It's, it's international and it's inclusive as well. So, you know, the focus is on women, but we're very clear with the involvement of men. So if you were to look at our structure, the governing board has men on and also the international advisory group as well. We've got an international advisory group, about 30 people are on on that group from about 13 countries from around the world. So from Mm -hmm. China through to Canada to Mozambique, we recently piloted a mentoring scheme there were about 30, 32 people on that scheme. And again, from 11 countries, from France through to the Seychelles, through to Uganda and, and the like. So we are attracting women <laughs> mainly at the moment from around the world. And when we established Public Finance by Women, it was really important that it was seen as an international organisation and not a UK-centric organisation there and largely because we're facing global issues which require global responses and women from different countries can bring different solutions to the same problems and and that's a really sort of interesting dynamic so women and men from all sorts of different organizations so from some of the big supranational um, organizations through to you know ministries of finance supreme audit institutions we are new, we are growing, so we're quite excited about scaling it up, particularly in 2021. It's great because you can do this virtually now. You, you talked about a, a career over three decades, and three decades ago, doing something like this would have been a nightmare. Whereas now we have technology that enables somebody in Uganda to speak to somebody in 
China about how they might better influence their own career. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's brilliant. You couldn't have done this 10 years ago, to, to be honest. And, you know, the technology lends itself to public finance by women because we're paperless. With the mentoring scheme, we're quite unique in, in that respect because obviously it's totally reliant on technology. We are the first international mentoring scheme for public finance the first scheme to be totally virtual for public financial by management. Uh, and also we are not following a traditional approach for mentoring. So we use the thinking environment approach, which was developed by Nancy Klein. So that puts the focus on the mentee and the mentor to actually actively listen to the mentee and for the mentee to work through their own solutions with guidance and support, but it's about the quality of the thinking and giving the mentee the time to do, to have that quality of thinking. So it's a really new approach. So, and we've been really excited by it. The feedback has been excellent. We'll be rolling that out further this next year in 2021, but it, it's just so brilliant, you know, to bring people together collectively as part of the program so people benefit from you know the wider network and not just the one-to-one -one. and most people that have been on the scheme want to continue it you know they didn't want it to come to an end and yeah technology suits us really well yeah, yeah. brilliant <laughs> it's no it's really cool and actually it's it's interesting because a couple of guests have talked about Nancy Klein and the thinking environment and I I really like her books and I think it's a great approach and you mentioned the involvement of men and I think that's brilliant from the outset because often you're missing half the population if you don't have them in the room and it's not to drown out the women but without involving men is change actually possible no, it's, it, it's not possible because, just to give an example, in many, well, not just public finance, but men tend to be at the top of the organisations and they are the gatekeepers. So if we can't influence the gatekeepers, then we're sort of banging at a brick wall or whatever the saying is. So it is important to, to bring men on board with this. And it's incredible the amount of men who are actually supportive of the initiative of public finance by women. And, and that's great to, to see. But we do need to do a lot more and bring men into the group and bring them into the, the cause going forward. What, what other practical things do, does public finance by women offer? Mentoring is, as I said, is, is, is the key plank. We wanted to get that um, right very, very early on in the organisation. But we've been running a series of webinars, which are more or less the, the training webinars. So we've held one on redefining leadership. So looking and exploring, again, some of the thinking environment approach, but some of the new skills that are required around leadership. We held two webinars this week. One was around sort of personal branding. How do you build your personal brand? We had an excellent webinar on that. And in partnership with the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and SEMA, we held a session on gender responsive budgeting. So we're going to have a whole host of other webinars looking at some of the technical areas, but also some of the sort of skills development and career development work. And so that's on, on one side. 
On the other side, the policy side, lots going on there. And maybe I just mention, pick out a, a couple of things. Ooh, so we, we undertook a survey looking at the government's reaction to COVID-19 to see how gender equality had been addressed within COVID-19 emergency response policies. And, and as you, you can guess, gender equality didn't really fare too well. And I think there's been quite a few research reports since then showing a widening in the gap, which has been you know, highlighted by, by COVID. And we've also recently taken part in three roundtables. And this is with UN Women, the International Budget Partnership, and InterSci IDI, and that's looking at women in leadership positions. So there are three roundtables with the Ministries of Finance, Supreme Audit Institutions, and Civil Society Organisations. And Public Finance by Women was very lucky to be invited along to all three um, of those roundtables. And we also see ourselves as influencing developments. So PIFA, the Public Expenditure, arm of the World Bank recently published an assessment tool for gender responsive budgeting. And, and of course, when they consulted on that, we fed into that process to help make some refinements to, to that particular toolkit. So we're quite active on the policy side, and there'll be a lot more to hopefully come next year. Wow, that's really interesting. And the fact that you can sit in, in every different workshop as well. So you bring that neutral that anyone will invite you to their party, <laughs> which is great. That's a great way to be able to infiltrate development, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. It's really important. And with, the, with that particular initiative, it's great to see now that at a global level, I mean, we have a sustainable development goal, number five on gender equality, you know, which in part is driving it. But actually looking specifically at women in leadership positions in public financial management at that level. Fantastic. Absolutely amazing. So hoping for great things to, to happen next year. And you brought up something, a couple of things I want to ask you about, but one in particular, Gillian, was you talked about skills development versus career development. And I think that's maybe something that when you start off in finance career or in an accounting career, the technical skills are the main focus and to get to a leadership position you obviously need a lot more than that so this is something that you're also looking at yes yes so it's it's very much in terms of helping people to develop some of the softer skills that that you need and the broader skills and just reflecting on my career I was very very lucky working in a, a former organization the audit commission that would allow you to develop those broader skills. So to move out into performance management, for example, value for money studies, that brought with it brand new skills, political skills, influencing skills, having to pick up policy briefs relatively quickly, those sorts of things, and develop you as a, as a leader. And the sorts of things that Public Finance by Women are doing are, are thinking about sort of the mentoring programme. It's encouraging women to take on broader roles. So, for example, NED positions, because that gives you a really good all-rounded view of organisations, how they manage and how they're governed from both sides. And that is extremely helpful to have your CV 
as you move forward in your career. So all sorts of support around, around that. It's particularly important if you're an aspiring leader that you develop some of these wider skills. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about diplomacy as well earlier on, and diplomacy is one of those skills, but also the ability to bring non-finance people with you. Mm. That must be another thing that people need to be able to do, especially when it comes to the public sector. Absolutely. I think the days of accountants sitting in a back office talking amongst themselves are well, well gone now. It's very much about accountants being out there as part of the team and supporting the team. So improving their visibility, but also in terms of highlighting how they can support non-finance professionals, deliver their jobs and the services more efficiently and effectively. So you see much more teamwork now. Certainly, if you look at the UK public sector, they've developed finance business partners. And that role is very much about that, taking on that broader support role. And and I think that's working relatively well in in most organisations. So as I said, I think those those days along of sitting in a in an office and not not engaging with the people, you know, the frontline deliverers are well gone. In different stages, in different places, and a lot of it will probably depend on the leadership of the department you're in. But certainly if you're listening to this episode, check out Public Finance by Women if you want to get into the foreground. (laughs) But the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Gillian, is this term you mentioned a couple of times, gender responsive budgeting. Mm -hmm. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a different way of looking at policy making and and budget resource um, allocation. So it's recognising that for for some policies that the needs of women and men differ, really, and taking... (laughs) I know it's not science, I'm stating the obvious here, but essentially it's, it's looking at the impact of a particular policy and budget decision on different parts of the population. By making or implementing a a policy, you can either make gender equality better or or worse, really. But in order to to know that, in the first instance, you've got to have the data, disaggregated data, and have an understanding about the needs of different females and, and, and males. But also it's interlinked with, you can't look at it in isolation. So if you're looking at a particular policy, you'd be thinking about demographics, age, ethnicity in the round. But gender budgeting was actually, I could go on for ages about this. <laughs> but it's, it's been around for some time. I think it was the Australian government that first produced a, a gender budget back in the 80s, I think it was. And there's a lot of initiatives going on about it. I mean, there's a a really good example about a snow clearing policy in Sweden. And you wouldn't really sort of think that would have gender implications, but it it actually does. And it's it's a fascinating um, story, but it's around recognising that women have different travel patterns and travelling different ways from men through the day and in this particular case it was about snow clearing and they traditionally just cleared the roads first left the cycle lanes left the pedestrian lanes to last but actually 
through women's interventions and looking at it differently, it's easier to drive a car through the snow than push a buggy down a pedestrian lane. So they basically changed their policy on this and as a result saved a shed load of money. There were less accidents going into the health service. But if you want to read about that, it's in a, in a fantastic book, Invisible Woman. I'm probably doing a bit of pro- promotion. No, there, please it's do. Really, a really good read. That's an amazing story. It really is because it just brings it right down to normal life. And I think the kind of the extraordinary often comes from the ordinary, and we tend to overlook ordinary experiences. But that is that's an extraordinary story from something. Well, we don't really suffer from it in this in in the UK, the snow, but, you know, somewhere like Sweden probably deals with it for a number of months every year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one example. There are many, many more examples out there. There's a whole host of countries and and gender budgeting. It's not a one size fits all. So, you know, uh, sometimes it's driven by the Ministry of Finance or by government. Other times it's more sort of community group orientated where it's communities influencing those policies it's a really interesting area to to be engaged in well it sounds it Gillian it really does and I think again like we said almost at the beginning that the government is there to protect and serve the people and actually by involving people and the needs of people from that perspective changes how to allocate funds. I mean, that's basically what you're talking about. Yeah, it, 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 it basically is. And there's this other thing which is called participatory budgeting. Yes. Which probably more aligns to, to that, where you do have the general public helping, whether it be a local authority or the government, to determine the priorities and how the money should be spent. And countries such as Brazil, I think, were foreigners in that sort of approach. It hasn't taken off, certainly it hasn't taken off, for example, within the UK and a lot of countries. I'm not quite sure why that, that, that is, but certainly these sort of involving the community and not just within the actual sort of prioritisation of budgets, but also the scrutiny process. So I remember being in the Philippines and the Auditor General's office actively involved the public in the review of its its audits. So there was one particular example, a big infrastructure project of a bridge. So they wanted to, to look at whether this bridge had been built and the like and they engaged the public and the public came back with pictures of half a bridge or, you know, this sort of thing. It was basically informing that that review to say well hey the money hasn't been spent the way it should be so that's pretty innovative stuff it is and yeah you talk about the participatory approaches which I think some of it is cultural isn't it it's how people did business all along or looked after their communities and then it naturally kind of starts to feed up and feed in but the other thing that I'm reminded of is design thinking So thinking from the perspective of the end user, Mm. as opposed to thinking when you're sitting in an office. Mm. Yeah. And I guess that's also what's maybe influencing some of these these policy changes and this gender responsive budgeting, which sounds brilliant. 
Yeah, they all have the advantages and, and disadvantages. Gender-responsive budgeting is not without some disadvantages. From my experience, that's the problem with a lot of public services in the past, is that they're designed for the benefit of the bureaucrat, rather than starting from the needs of the user of that service. So, and I, I'd like to think that's changed quite considerably, but... Just a a personal example, I've got an elderly mother. I tried to apply for an attendance allowance for her, which I did, and I did successfully. But I had to complete a 40-page form. Now, how on earth can you expect a 90-year-old to to sit through 40 pages of all of this information to, to seek an attendance? So that's something designed for the bureaucrats not thinking about the user and the way information is all linked up today, that could have been done much, you know, more simply. So there are still obviously pockets that haven't changed there. Mm. Yeah, but there's something that can be done. And the world is, I think after the year we've had, the world is more maybe aware that change is the norm. Yes, yes, I think so. (laughs) Yes. I think so. I think with COVID, with the pandemic, it's been transformative change. You know, we often hear about transformational change and very few actually do it. But this has actually brought about transformational change. I mean, you you wouldn't expect most of the nation to be on Zoom and Teams. And look, it's the way we do business. The world of work is going to change. Job design is going to change. Um, Hopefully for a good thing at the top of the organisations. Because a change in job design could benefit women going forward. So as an example, I sit on the board of a, of a charity and we've just appointed a job share chief executive. Wow. You know, a female and a male. It's working really well. So what's to say that that won't become more of the norm in the future? So he's hoping it will. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. And I think the, the thing is you only learn by doing anyway so it's also about having the courage to try some of these things and be that um, first person to do it and I think public finance by women is one of these pioneering things like you said there's nothing like it in the world at the moment so that's amazing Gillian congratulations (laughs) thank you very much Uh, just over a year I never thought that we'd get you know the traction that we actually have and uh, it's been brilliant and I just hope we can sustain it going forward and scale it up and attract more people to to be involved in public finance by women and make that impact in the world that you want that you are making anyway but to continue it like we started out with oh thank you So, Gillian, before we wrap up, how does somebody connect with you or get information on public finance by women? Yeah, well, we have a website, www.publicfinancebywomen.org, that you can visit, and we regularly post on there. You can keep in touch with us. There's a little sort of tag at the bottom of the website where if you supplied your name and email address, then we'll alert you as and when events are coming up, etc., You can become a member of Public Finance by Women and then you get access to a number of things such as training webinars, a mentoring scheme, discounts on coaching, etc. 
So if you look at our website, there's a members page and that tells you how to, to actually join um, as a member. Um, we're also on Twitter, so do follow us on uh, Twitter, Public Finance B1, I think we are. I'm not quite sure how that name came about, but <laughs> we're on Twitter. And, and I'm on LinkedIn or contact me directly. There's a, an email address on public on the website. So you can approach me directly if you want to find out more. Brilliant. And I think probably everybody knows somebody who works somewhere in the public sector. So also it's, it's about just spreading the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time this, today, Gillian. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.